Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today is a very special roundtable episode with three incredible Star Wars authors, all of whom contributed to the just-published, from a certain point of view, the Empire Strikes Back anthology. Joining me is John Jackson Miller, who previously wrote Kenobi and A New Dawn, Delilah S. Dawson, also the author of Phasma and Galaxy's Edge Black Spire, and Tracy Dion, who might be a newcomer to writing for Star Wars, but whose story in this book blew me away. This is Talking Day 94, episode 88, a certain point of view. Again, thank you all three for coming on. This is a little bit new for me. Normally, I just do one-on-ones, and so if, I, if I'm if i out of my element, that's exactly why. And it's such an honor to be joined by all three of y'all, because this book, from a certain point of view, The Empire Strikes Back, from Del Rey, is incredible, and the three of y'all's stories, amidst a bunch of incredible stories, like are also just mind-blowingly great. So before we dive into the specifics, a general question for the group is more, what was your experience with Empire growing up? Or when was the first time you were introduced to it? And like, has that impacted your writing or your career as you've kind of gone through this? I guess I might be chronologically first here. <laughs> yes, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I saw Star Wars as a kid but wasn't really ready for the phenomenon, didn't know what it was. Uh, By the time Empire Strikes Back came around, it was a big deal. And uh, I knew what was happening well in advance. Uh, You know, I I got the the paperback, you know, weeks before the movie came out. So I made sure to spoil it for myself uh, and uh, and got the action figures and got everything and, uh, and then got in to see the movie. I, I just I just tweeted that it was like getting the good silverware out today because uh, my background here is the actual poster from the theater where I saw the movie the wow. uh, the Park Theater in Memphis 850 seats only theater that actually showed the film uh, okay. because they, that was back in the day before multiplexes and uh, and so yeah I mean that was really the height of uh, of my collecting the height of my fandom for uh, for Star Wars. Uh, it was it's th- that that nice stretch there between junior high and and high school and uh, you know there's a v- famous saying that the golden age is 12 well I was 12 when the movie came out so right. it was it was uh, it was a big deal for me. That's great. Delilah, what about you? Well, I, I was born in 77. so um, you know back then things weren't on demand. <laughs> you know I, I'm pretty sure that uh, Return of the Jedi was the first one I actually saw in the theater. But back then, you know, they would randomly show movies like on Sunday at three o'clock with a whole bunch of ads. So my first memories of Empire are walking into my whatever, wherever my dad was watching TV and seeing uh, the Tauntauns and Hoth and being like very interested because I was I was a horse child and I'm a creature person. Um, so I remember being like very interested in that aspect of it. Um, and then, you know, as I got older and Star Wars was always part of the fabric of my life and the, the Ewoks, I've got my Nisa over here. We just <laughs> moved. So all of my good stuff is gone, but I've always got my Nisa with me. But yes, we can't, so we had like the sheets and I had the, the read along book where you, you know, you lifted like the, the record and turned it over when C-3PO told you to basically. <laughs> right. It's always there. Um, and then as I got older, you know, you, it's kind of like it's the, the thinking man's favorite Star Wars movie. Um, and I would see it like in, I saw it in college on the big screen for the first time. And it was, you know, you just see things you've never seen before. But what really hit me the most is when I was writing the Star Wars saga. And I was watching each movie over and over and over again for days in a row to record it in a fairy tale style and watching it, you know, as an adult with almost a critical eye and, and noticing everything. So it's like each time I get to see it in a new way, I get to add this new 
richness that that it just it's so it's so deep it's like a kaleidoscope that just keeps going no incredible and, and tracy what about you and your experience with empire but the saga in general so i um my very first experience which i think is a little bit of a cheat here is that um in my baby book my before i was born my mother wrote like what her favorite movie of the year was going to be it hadn't come out yet and it was return of the jedi <laughs> um so just to give you an idea um you know i was i'm a second generation fangirl my mother had the original uh, macquarie art art book from the from a new hope from star wars um and i remember it's like we would break it out on special occasions and sort of like pour through the pages and you couldn't look at it too much. She didn't want it to be out all the time, right. but we would have like a special moment to look through the Ralph McQuarrie art. So that my sense of it was always like, this is something me and my mother are doing together. And she talked me through her experience of seeing the movies in the theaters. Um, and I, my, my favorite movie has always been Empire. I really like sequels in general, mm -hmm. like in, you know, in a trilogy, the like the middle one, is always my favorite uh, because it's a follow-up of this great start. Um, and then you tend to go to a darker place, a darker, more deep place, I find, in a lot of sequels or sort of middle middle movies in the trilogy. Um, and so I just, I remember thinking as a kid that Empire felt like a bunch of adventures tagged on together mm -hmm. in a way that I think the first movie didn't to me. So I thought I really, as a child, I was like, okay, and here's the Hoth part. And I charted that as its own story arc, mm -hmm. which it is, right? Yeah. And then here's the Dagobah part and that's its own thing. And, um, and I remember thinking that I could sort of hold on to certain scenes and really dig deeply into them. Um, so I went through a period of time where all I wanted to watch was the Hoth sequence and all I wanted to watch was the Cloud City sequence or whatever. Um, so I think it was one of the first movies I saw that I thought of as a story, as a storytelling type craft, like a product as a, as a kid. I love it. Well, and that, that's a great segue. You're just lining up my questions now because this anthology is a great way to describe seeing empire what you just described like a bunch of adventures kind of put together this book kind of does and i'd be curious again opening up to the larger group maybe the challenges that come with writing an anthology and maybe more specifically why you chose your specific story and tracy you can you can lead off if, if you would like Sure. Um, <laughs> so uh, when this opportunity showed up and they said you could, you know, pick anything, I remember thinking, um, well, I just really want to spend more time on Dagobah and my sense of that cave adventure that Luke goes on has always stuck out in my head. I mean, if you sort of look at the, you know, the hero's journey, that mirror moment where you you have the hero look at himself and, and what is the real reveal and who are you really and all of that stuff. And uh, underneath Vader's helmet, it's actually Luke. And I, you know, I just, my whole life, I just love that sequence. And so I wrote back and was like, I know this isn't like a character character, could I write from the caves perspective? Um, and Elizabeth was like, yes, you can. I can't wait to see what that's all about. So I had a ton of fun figuring out the voice of a, you know, stone landform. Um, what would <laughs> this cave be like? What would it mean? I mean, it's it's bigger, it's larger than and, and older than so many of the things you see in that movie. I think about... Um, especially having watched the Clone Wars and you get to see that, you know, other people have encountered the cave and right. uh, the Snoke comic, you get to see sort of the demise of the cave because uh, Kylo Ren destroys it. And so I really wanted to just talk about the life arc. Yeah. What would it be 
you know, and all of those force users coming to the cave for their own purposes, I really just couldn't get it out of my head that there would be sort of an infusion of sentience, you know, out of that experience. Like that's a lot of people, a lot of powerful people. It's not like you, like Luke is a little bit odd. I think I, my, my feeling is that people go to the cave once they reach a certain point in their training. And of course, Luke is, is showing up there fairly early. It's not like Yoda hadn't even been there, right. you know, <laughs> like <laughs> he, he didn't show up until Qui-Gon took him there and he was like probably like early 900s or whatever at that <laughs> point. So in my mind, it was this place where a lot of really powerful, really well-trained people had been. And I just couldn't get that out of my head, what it would, what that would look like and what the cave had seen. Yeah. Again, the story, Virgins, is incredible because there are two things in Star Wars I love the most. The weird Star Wars, which is what we get in this story. And then the second is leading into your story, Delilah, which is the creatures and bringing emotion to a creature that I grew up loving, like you mentioned. What was your path to your story and why did you kind of create this this world for yourself? It kind of started as a joke uh, because when we go to these big cons like Celebration or New York or San Diego, quite often for Star Wars, there'll be like 20 or 30 writers up on the stage. And so you'll each get like a 20 second answer. And um, one of Mike Siglain's favorite questions is, you know, if you were a character living in the Star Wars universe, who would you be? Well, if you're the 30th person on the stage, like they've gone through everything <laughs> they're, and you're, they're getting to you and they're like, nope, they took that. It took that can't be any walk princess. Like we're all through this. And it gets to me. And so finally, I like there was something left. I was like, I'd be the Tauntaun midwife. I'd be like up to my elbows in Tauntaun cloaca, like shifting the little babies and pulling them out. Like I would be covered in Ronto afterbirth. That's what I do. <laughs> and then... I kind of fell in love with the idea. So when they brought this up, I was like, I'm going to be the time to this And they were like, you can't. Hank Green already got it. And I was like, oh, okay. I'll be the time on it. I'm going to break your heart. So that's, that's where that came and you, from. And you did. And we'll talk a little bit more about spoilers as we get into the, the stories. Because that is pretty early on in, in the actual book. And I was just like, oh, great. This is how we're going to do this, this entire book. What, what an incredible tale that you weaved. Well, Mr. Miller, what kind of brought you to telling a, a story with Ray Sloan? Again, I know that you were the one that introduced her to this world, and now yeah. and now bring her to Empire. I think is such a cool way to bring her back into to canon again. Well, this actually didn't start with Ray. It actually started with another one of these creatures. The uh, small weird claim to fame is that I named the space slug. I did a I did a story arc uh, in Knights of the Old Republic that lasted half a year. You know, where it's uh, it's it's space slugs all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it, there's a very famous moment where Lord Adaska is, takes uh, Jarail to dinner and uh, and shows her his space slugs. <laughs> and we tried to make try to make that not sound horrible, but uh, she 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 did say that was the worst date of her life. It was it was uh, it was a thing where I had to think through how the space slugs functioned and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did a whole arc about weaponizing them and all of this stuff, and then it kind of got set aside. Uh, uh, you know, the the Exegorse was the name for them right. uh, for a long time, and uh, and then we got around to uh, to 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 this book. And uh, since I had already done something playing off of uh, a character in my Kenobi novel in uh, the previous uh, certain point of view book, I said, "Well, yeah, maybe I could." you know, get a twofer here. Uh, you know, I could do something with the space slugs, but I could also do something with, uh, with Ray Sloan. Yeah. Uh, because we didn't know exactly where she was at this point. Uh, the last place we saw her in continuity 
uh, was at the end of the Kanan comic book series where, uh, you know, she had uh, been foiled by him. You know, it, it, obviously he escapes. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, there's got to be consequences for that. And that's kind of where we pick her up. Uh, and that, that, that's kind of where, uh, where she enters the story. I would love to talk to both you and Delilah because when you're writing Star Wars, the characters that either you've been creating or woven into the tales you were telling are now almost taking lives of their own. Ray Sloan, of course, showing up in squadrons. And then you have Vi, you have Captain Cardinal, you have action figures being made, you have Lego minifigures being made. What's it like not only telling Star Wars stories, but then creating fully formed Star Wars characters that might not start in a movie, but still feel very real to the fans? I mean, I, I think it, it, they, they go hand in hand for, for most of us, you know, we, Star Wars writing it as, as an IP is kind of like a, that bucket listing. It's that big one. Most of us start with a smaller one that isn't as like, Ugh! oh my God, Star Wars. And you get your kind of your training wheels, um, you know, with, with other characters in other worlds. But I think anybody who's going to be seeking to write Star Wars, we live and breathe these books are, these is all of our t-shirts and our socks and our our dogs have chewy costumes. Like this is just our life. So we've been hearing these characters and our voices in our head. They're more real than plenty of my relatives. Um, so, you know, getting to write them. I mean, Han writes himself. I think out of all of them, Han writes himself. Leia can be more complicated because she's just a more complicated character. But like, I don't think I've ever had a line I wrote for Han get cut. <laughs> um, so then when you're writing your own characters, you just have to make them as fully realized as those characters. Like they, they have to have flaws. They have to mess up. They uh, have to um, make mistakes, but at, at their base, you know, if you're writing a character in the Rebel or the Resistance, um, they, they've got to have hope and, and a good heart. And, uh, you know, if you're writing somebody in the, in the Imperials, you have to take into account that most likely they were kidnapped as a kid and, or cloned as a kid and raised to believe these things for propaganda and that they can be a range of good people to bad people in that who just ended up there. So once you have this knowledge and you have these characters in your head, um, it's like pulling out all your favorite dolls and making them play together. Right. <laughs> I love it. John. Yeah, it, it is an extension of play with all the, all the action figures back in the day and, uh, and, you know, and, and being able to sort of be in that sandbox and then create some additional characters for people to play or cosplay. Uh, you know, that was, that was one of the, you know, coolest moments was beginning to see people cosplaying as uh, characters from uh, the comics and and then the books. Right. And yeah, having people come up to me, I mean, you know, there's one fan who, you know, talked to me about how Ray Sloan changed her life. Uh, and uh, that's just, you know, you know, above and beyond what I expect to get out of, you know, doing this. I'm just, I'm just here to tell, you know, spin yarns and, <laughs> and give it some adventures here. And and also to you know try and uh, you know put my spin on things to a degree. I, I I'm very much you know somebody who uh, tries to think through the you know, all the little little details about being in this universe. Uh, not that everybody doesn't, but I mean I, I I obsess over you know what happened to this institution or or that thing or whatever. Uh, you know it, it's it's. The New Dawn book that uh, that uh, Ray Sloan comes out of is just wallowing in Russian Revolution stuff, because <laughs> uh, uh, again, that was that was my my background, uh, you know, educationally, uh, and and so you know, I with her, I was just saying, okay, there has to be 
uh, you know, not necessarily the good Imperial, but there has to be a number of people in this universe that believe in it, uh, believe in the Emperor's cause uh, without necessarily buying into all the other stuff that they might not necessarily know about. Mm. Uh, uh, because if you don't have those people, this thing can't go. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, that's, that's, that's what it is. And so, oh, you know, the, the whole idea with her was just to, uh, you know, think through what would be a person that would exist in this universe and what should, what should she have to do to be able to survive? Yeah. And this story is another example of her surviving. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Tracy, this is your maybe first time writing in Star Wars, but fans might know you from Looking for Leia, and obviously you're steeped in fandom. I'd be very interested in just hearing your story about not only writing for Star Wars officially, but more of the influences that you drew from. Because again, it's a very weird story, but in the best kind of Star Wars weird way. Like It is probably one of the highlights of the whole book, just because of, of the way that you're able to approach not only the cave, but Yoda as being the foil for that cave. And understanding a little bit more of who even Yoda is, I'd be interested to hear a little bit more of, of your journey to, to finding the complete story there. Yeah, you know, um, it is, to your first question, it is a really uh, surreal experience. I, while you were talking about other people like might start another IP and I was like, oh man, I did not. <laughs> I'm like, woo, this was- a uh, you in with the sharks. Really, I just jumped in with both feet. So um, it was a very strange but super exciting opportunity, obviously. I mean, yeah, I grew up, like you said, steeped in, in fandom and um, steeped in this idea that stories were living, really, is what I think uh, fandom is to me, is this um, sort of a shared acceptance that stories are living things. And um, that is is a a wonderful way to work and it, it allows me I think to think about even stories that we already know or scenes we already know um, from a different perspective and so with Yoda um, I mean he, he was there for such a long time by himself um, by himself I'll say <laughs> like uh, you know that's not exactly how the force works but um, we don't see him that's what I'll say right. we don't see a ton of life there so I really wanted to get a sense of what it was like being you know on this planet and and for me, you know, he's so clever. Yoda is such a clever character that I really wanted to show that he was still active, um, thinking, challenging himself in some way. Um, and so that's a lot of what happens in versions is that we see that Yoda is not done growing, that he's actually in process of, of some sort of self-training even um, and challenge. And it was really fun to be able to, to put him up against something that was much, 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 much older than him and um, something that had seen sort of like sort of seen it all. Right. Um, because Yoda doesn't have like a ton of equals in, in a lot of Star Wars stories. And it's not that I think the cave is even his equal, but I think it's interesting that the cave thinks that he is Yoda's equal. And that was just a really delightful thing to play with. <laughs> and I say he, because like the cave is genderless, but for some reason, as I was writing it, it felt like a really masculine voice to me um, and quite lyrical as well. Uh, so yeah, I think that was where I went with it. It's just like, this is a living story Yoda's time there I can I'm now have permission like official like you know blessing to play with it uh -huh. and this idea that the that the voice that we're following and the entire POV was really really important to me that we were in an I POV first person of this cave because I wanted that to be 
where we were living. I didn't want to do second POV. I didn't want to do you. I didn't want to do third. I wanted it to always feel like we were apart. We were actually cave because I feel like that helped make it feel like a living thing as well. I think that's so interesting what you were talking about. If only because Delilah, you touched on something a little bit earlier where it's like it's very easy to write for Han or it's very easy to write for some of these characters. And in each of your stories, of course, it's about the cave or it's about Sloan, or, but they all interact with legacy characters, Leia or Yoda or Piet even, right? I'd be very interested not only using this story as an example, but even with the other installments of it from a certain point of view that maybe Delilah and John, you worked on. What additional challenges are there because again you're dealing with empire strikes back a movie that we've all seen a hundred times and so even even a background character interacting with another background character might not feel cohesive to something that we're already very aware of and i'm sure that's one of the challenges of writing the background of empire and i'd be interested if that was part of your process at all well i think for these books you know your goal as a writer is to find a little piece that calls to you and then spin a story up around it just because you know we're not we're not so much retelling a moment that you've already known. We're trying to show something new about that to kind of add to the lore, you know, whether it's just a background character's life or the cave. So the hard part sometimes can be finding a character or a moment that um, doesn't already have a story behind it. Like, so in the first, from a certain point of view, I originally claimed uh, the Athorian, Mo Malinadon. I, I love hammerheads and I thought that was so cool. Like the hammerheads in KOTOR were just my favorite. But then I go to do my, my you know, due diligence research and there's already a great story in him right. um, about him in Tales from Mos Eisley Cantina by Dave Wolverton. Right. And I read it and I was like, I don't think I can do better than this. <laughs> uh-huh. Like this is, this is, it's in my head now, this is canon. It was, they can call it legends if they want, but to me it's canon. I was like, I don't, I don't wanna overwrite this story. Right. And I also don't see a good space for me to do a story. So instead I went back and watched the movie, pausing it every 30 seconds, landed on Garandan, yeah. and went through, and everything you can find on him that was in the Wikipedia at the time was like, he's a mysterious <laughs> spy. Maybe he's the richest guy in the world. Maybe he's a killer. Nobody right. knows. And I was like, awesome. That I can work with. Yeah. So it's about finding your, your little golden moment and then using everything you have in you and the story you want to tell to, to make people feel something. I love it. And also, John Wayne's appearance in Star Wars is Garen Dan's voice. So there you go. Apparently, that's where Ben Burt got it. So anyway, that's why he's on my wall. <laughs> what about you, John? Yeah, um, it's always an interesting trick finding a place in the movie where to set your story. And, uh, you know, it, and it, it's 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 not just in this you know, franchise necessarily. I mean, I I wrote an original Dumbo graphic novel that is set between two scenes of the Dumbo movie that came out last (laughs) year. (laughs) And and I had to actually really work hard to find a place for it and uh, to get the continuity to work out. Uh, And this is no different. I mean, uh, in in the previous, uh, you know, from a certain point of view book, you know, a Yark from from, uh, the Tuscans is now one of the Tuscan Raiders in the movie, but I actually had to prove to Pablo and everybody at uh, at Lucasfilm that there were really four Tuscan Raiders. Right. There are four Tuscans, as uh, as uh, as Picard would say. There are four <laughs> Tuscans, uh, and not three because everybody thought there were three. But if you slow it down, you'll see there are four, and it probably is only just three. But uh, George Lucas cut it and cut it and cut it to make it look like there were a bunch of them. Right. Um, same thing here uh, with this story. Um, there was a complication in that uh, another author was writing a story that was set on Ultimatum, which is Ray Sloan's Star Destroyer. 
and that had to happen at a certain moment. And yet I also had to have her, you know, out of uh, communication for certain points in time. And then we get into the whole, you know, headache of how long are they really in the asteroid belt anyway? How long is Luke on Dagobah anyway? How it's, that is, that's always been a nightmare, but I did what I could Yeah, (laughs) and, and uh, and freeze framed and, uh, and I think I, I now have it all, you know, fitting right where it goes. I love it. Uh, And then Tracy. Um, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, John, you're talking about freeze framing. I, I went back to all of the Luke on Dagobah scenes and I knew that I wanted to, um, incorporate some of the dialogue from the movie I knew that I wanted to slow down on some of that so I went back and sort of particularly the interaction between Luke and Yoda and Obi-Wan as he's leaving like and he's you Mm -hmm. know declaring he's got to go off and do this thing I wanted that to be part of the story um and it was really I don't know it was really um interesting to slow it down and ha- realize that I had never thought about how long he's there, John. <laughs> like, I was like, how long has he been there? You know, like, okay, this feels like a jump of time. This feels like a, a jump of time. Um, it seems like they, they're more comfortable with each other. Like I'm reading, I'm looking for clues. I'm like, okay, compared to the very first time that, that they meet now, they seem to have some understanding. Um, I don't know. There was a lot of discovery for me in this. I remember this is like a very quick story. I just remember laughing for some reason more than I ever had when when Luke says like you know what's in there and Yoda's like only what you take with you and he says you won't need your weapons and Luke is like anyway my blaster you know I just like I was like he's so ridiculous like he's so arrogant like what like Yoda said no and Luke's like "Mm." I'll be fine. He takes in his weapons anyway. And I had to somehow weave that into the story. Like that, that the, the sentient cave heard that conversation and was like, this kid, (laughs) 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 like, who does he think he is coming in here? What's he going to do with the blaster? Like I'm, I play mind games with people 800 years older than you. What are you doing? You know? So that slowing it down afforded me some perspective and some humor and some, and for me more juice for the character, for the character. I love it. Well, again, all three of the stories in from a certain point of view the empire strikes back incredible 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 is there anything else coming out for all three of y'all that you would want to talk about or other ways that people can can find your work what one thing i wanted to mention uh is uh i have not heard it yet but i know that january lavoie did the uh the audiobook narration for uh my story uh and that's just really cool for me because the other book that i have out this year uh is uh is uh in another universe, uh, uh, Star Trek Discovery Die Standing, where she just does an amazing 13 hours as Michelle Yeoh's character, uh, Philippa Georgiou. And uh, I, uh, having listened to all that, and now she's going to be Ray <laughs> Sloan too. That's great. Uh, that is, I, I'm really looking forward to listening to that. Uh, working on something else now, and as usual, contractual right. obligations to not whatever. Uh, but uh, but if you're asking where people can find me, uh, uh, JJM uh, JJM Far Away is my uh, uh, Twitter handle. Uh, John Jackson Miller on Facebook uh, and uh, Far Away Press on uh, the web. Farawaypress.com. Love it, Delilah. Yeah, I'm online. I'm uh, Delilah S. Dawson on Twitter and Instagram and. 
if you go to my website, it's whimsydark.com, W-H-I-M-S-Y-D-A-R-K, because everything I write is somewhere on that whimsical dark spectrum. <laughs> um, I also am working on a secret project that can't be discussed, but um, January, January Lavoie did the audiobooks for um, Star Wars Phasma and Galaxy's Edge Black Spire, so if you like her, yep. she did my books there too. <laughs> um, I guess my next book, I've got a middle grade horror that'll be out next year oh, called it. Mine, and then the following year I've got like a a book called The Violence. It's about uh, abuse in familial saga during a plague of random outbreaks of violence. So wow. It's all coming up. Incredible. And then Tracy, round us out. I'm uh, at tracydion.com and I'm at Tracy Dion on Instagram and Twitter. I um, am working on my dark middle chapter book uh, to my trilogy um, right now, actually. And uh, that's the second book in the Legendborn series from my debut, Legendborn, that came out earlier this year. I love it. Uh, well, and I'll say, after I read your story, Tracy, I immediately ordered Legendborn. I was like, I have to hear more. I have to hear more of what you have to say. So uh, again, incredible stuff from all three of y'all. Thank you all for coming, and I'm excited to hear more from you all, uh, whether it's in Star Wars or not. So I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Hey, thanks. Thank you again to John, Delilah, and Tracy for being such incredible sports and writing such incredible stories. Thank you as well to Lauren from Delray PR for setting all of this up. From a certain point of view, The Empire Strikes Back is now available from Delray. The link to buy it, as well as links to all of our guests' personal sites, is in the show notes. If, right now, you could go to the app where you're listening to this podcast and leave a five-star rating and a review, it is so, so appreciated. We'll be back on Wednesday with our longest episode ever, an incredible conversation with Ilem's Todd Vaziri. So, until then, stay tuned, leave that five-star review, and may the Force be with you.